Hey guys, welcome to the latest episode of the 4040 Vision podcast, the ultimate sports history pod where hindsight is 4040. We're so excited to jump into today's episode, but before we do, here's a quick word from one of our sponsors. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the 4040 Vision podcast. I'm your host, Colette Abdallah, and I have a special guest with me today, Andre Carlisle, co-host of the Diaspora United podcast, and to use his words, incessant women's soccer tweeter. Uh, how's everything going today? Uh, doing good, doing good. Thanks for having me here. Of course, of course. So today's topic uh, is the Women's World Cup. So we're going to be talking about the uh, the tournament in general, women's soccer in general. We'll be talking about the U.S. Women's National Team, of course, uh, with some focus on some of the other teams, of course, because there's a bunch of other teams in this tournament we want to cover. And we're about uh, four days out from the start of the tournament uh, in the uh, tail end of July, and it's going to be kicking off in New Zealand and Australia in just a couple days. So before we jump into the actual tournament and some of the uh, in-depth talk, I love to ask American soccer fans, how did you become a soccer fan? And I guess, when did you become a soccer fan? <laughs> That's a good question. It actually took a long time, which was kind of kind of a standard case, at least for you know most, most Americans uh, who've been around the sport for a little bit. Um, but yeah, I wasn't, I didn't grow up introduced to the sport except from like a very young age when I was like six, played on a team called the Ninjas and we lost every game. And the whole idea was just to get us to run around in a, on grass for a little bit and tire ourselves out. So there was like no strategy, no technique. We weren't really coached, weren't, not weren't really coached. We weren't coached at all. And so I was just like, all right, well, if it's just running back and forth on a pitch, I'm not, I'm not really, I'm not really into this. So basically it took close to 20 years after that for me to be reintroduced to the sport in a real way. Um, started with some coworkers that were just saying like, hey, we've got a rec team and we need some bodies. And I was like, oh, I can run. I don't know what to tell you. Like, I don't, I've got I've got no skills. So I just went out there and played. And I was like, OK, I kind of like like the, the this technique of this, the skill of this is cool. And then finally started being able to watch soccer like on TV, which was the big a big deal, you know, getting some of the. European leagues, because especially for me as a, as, as a black dude, it was just kind of like, I don't really see anybody black, black males playing the game, especially like in the States. It felt like a very middle class, upper middle class sport. And so once I saw that, then I was like, okay, now I feel like there's space for me here. Like now I feel like this is, this is a passion of mine. And I just kept continue to watch and kind of get obsessed with the game as it went on. Yeah, that's a, a great point that you brought up. It's funny that like in the U.S., it's this upper middle class sport that has all these barriers to entry and everywhere else in the world. It's, you know, you see kids playing barefoot in the streets and it's just anybody mm -hmm. can play it at any time. Uh, so specifically on the women's side of things, I know you talked about being able to see the European leagues on TV super easily. And I think we're living in like the golden age of that, despite some of the streaming issues that we have. But on the women's side of things, what drew you to the women's game and when did you become, again, to use your words, this uh, incessant women's soccer tweeter? <laughs> so it was really the the U.S. women's national team's success over the years. Like I really loved watching the team. I loved like learning about the players, but it was tough because you only introduce yourself to them every four years. And so it's kind of you, you didn't really follow them. That kind of wasn't the culture until you know there were a few you know, domestic leagues that were started, but many of them folded. And now we have the NWSL. So that changed things. But what really started it was 
looking at that team, how successful they were, the talents and personalities that they had. And then once the NWSL was established, it was like, okay, now you get a chance to watch these players week in and week out, like throughout a season. And that's fun. Like you, you look at the global landscape of soccer and I know MLS is growing. I know soccer in this country is growing, but there is no equivalent to the NWSL. Like the NWSL is one of the most talented, most the most competitive top to bottom, hands down, uh, domestic leagues in the world. And we have it right here. And so for me, that was a big one. Just knowing that I had access to this and I love the sport. And of course, me also, I also am very aware of a lot of social, the social impact of sports, social causes throughout sports and felt like, like the women's game have so many intersections with a lot of that. Um, and then, of course, there was also black women players who were coming along who I was like, you know, they, they talk about a lot of the white players, but you don't talk about the, the black players as much. So thinking about Brianna Scurry and what she did, we always see the Brandy Chastain photo, which, yeah, she had to score the goal. But without that save, then, you know, it's, it just goes back and forth. And so, yeah, it was just a matter of all of that coming together. And I was like, you know what? I want to, one, the athletes are dope as hell. Like, they're very good. But two, like, this hits a lot of the intersections of, of of care and cause that I really like. For sure, for sure. And I think, th- especially what you talked about, I think just from our limited interactions on social media, I think we're pretty aligned socially and things like that and politically. And it seems almost like, which is crazy to say, but rooting for this women's national team and supporting women's soccer has almost become, like, it's associated with, with being a leftist and there's some, the, the deep undercurrent of the social and political activism that these women are at the forefront of. And it's, I mean, there's, there's no way to divide the sport from the political aspect of things, but I think being this, you know, big women's soccer supporter, big women's soccer fan, it it just goes, it's like part and parcel of supporting women's rights and some of these other things. So uh, I could, I totally see that angle. And then what you said about the world cup and, wanting to follow these players, these total badass players outside of the, the U S concept or the, the, the national team concept is it's like the blueprint. It's the dream. I think that's what the U S was trying to do when hosting the men's world cup in 94 and then the women's world cup, I believe it was 1990. So it's, it's very similar where they, you're that blueprint of the fan that they capture in the world cup. And then you go on and, and uh, do that. So in terms of the growth of, of the sport, how has the access and the ability to watch these teams and these players changed in recent years? I know it's it's exploded. I know they've gotten some TV deals recently, some streaming deals. So how's that changed in the last few years? Oh, tremendously. And it's been a lot of work behind the scenes from parts of the NWSL, but the majority of it from the players. Um the players have known that they have deserved a domestic league um, that they could perform in and that they could carry a domestic league, that they were good enough to do that. And we know that because every four years we see these players come together and they're good enough to capture the entire nation. And now they've won back-to-back World Cups. They have four in total and they're going for a fifth. No other team that I think of men's or women's has had a chance to win Mm, maybe had a chance, but have never won three straight. And so having four is amazing. Um, being on the cusp of five, and we'll talk about that later. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's 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 incredible. So yeah, so in terms of the growth, it really, the key thing was 
cleaning up the NWSL. There were a lot of domestic leagues that rose and folded for a lot for a lot of different reasons that we don't have a lot of time to get into. Uh, but it wasn't the talent of the players. It was mismanagement. It was straight up bad shit happening. It was it was not good. And we know from a lot of stories that happened in the past or came out two, three years ago about the NWSL, that was very much important to get that right and the response to that right. Got a new commissioner in. Um, there's been understanding these things. There, there were multiple investigations that went on. Um, punishments handed down, you know, things being revealed, a CBA, a first ever CBA. Think about that. The league had been around for close to nine, 10 years and just got its first CBA. So that was really important to do in terms of protecting players. Um, and then, of course, expansion. I think bringing in, you know, markets like Los Angeles, bringing in a market like San Diego, it's been massive. And so some of the players, especially, you know, Washington Spear with Michelle Kang, her coming in as an hour, wanting to spend money, you know, being aggressive and wanting to build a team, build infrastructure of a team as well, like professionalizing the environments. Very, very important. So you go from all of that to now the athletes just have the platform to just perform. And that's why we're seeing audience numbers shoot up. We're seeing, you know, viewerships shoot up, attendance at uh, at stadiums shoot up. Like everybody's doing so much, like everybody's breaking records almost every other week. And it's great to see But what it really shows you is that the audience has already been there. It's just been waiting for this opportunity. And now, of course, with World Cups, the World Cup coming up, it's just that, to be honest, COVID messed things up because in 2019, we're ready for this. (laughs) But now it feels like we're here. We did the growth. And I'm really excited about what the, the landscape will look like even after this World Cup, which I expect to be great. For sure. Yeah, there's always been an appetite for high-level women's soccer, high-level women's sports in general. I think we're seeing a growth in WNBA just alongside the the NWSL. So the appetite's always been there. And I think, to your point, we're finally seeing like the maturation of of women's leagues because people are finally seeing the potential and there's money behind it and there's the professionalism that, that comes with it. So whether it's a CBA, whether it's a streaming deal with CBS or whatever, we're seeing these things come to fruition. And like you said, week over week, it, there's incredible growth. And year over year, there's going to be more and more growth. So let's transition. Let's start talking about the World Cup because I think we've set the stage. You talked about the dominance of the national team. They're coming off back-to-back World Cup wins. They have four in total. So let's let's talk about the expectations for this team. So coming in, I think they're on. They've won like nine straight in you know their in their past a few friendlies in the She Believes Cup. But there was a string of defeats in 2022 to some pretty high-level opponents. Is there a cause for concern going to this World Cup because of those defeats? Or should we look more into the nine- or eight-game win streak, whatever that we're going into the Cup with? Uh, It depends on how much delusion you like with your sports analysis. (laughs) That's what I'll say. Um, So for the people who just want to, you know, root for, you know, the flag and the patriotic aspect of it and think like, yeah, okay, cool. Yeah, go go ahead. Like the team is still very, very talented. They could figure things out. To be completely honest, tactically speaking, in 2019, they weren't really the most tactically sound team anyway. They just happened to have a player like Sam Mewis, who was absolutely unreal um, and did a lot. And of course, Julie Ertz was there and then they had, 
that 2019 team was fueled by something different. <laughs> there were so many fights that that team was fighting, including the White House and their own federation, uh, that they they were they captured something different in 2019, and that was really fun. So they That's overcame where, a it lot. It became of almost like an act of resistance to root for your country's soccer team, which was just. We were living in a bizarre world at the time. Yes, it, <laughs> but, it was yeah. it was really silly. So yeah, so that team was was fueled by something else. And and if you're kind of looking at it objectively, they didn't have the best game plan for some of the teams that they ended up facing. They basically went through all of the big teams in Europe to win that trophy, which was awesome. This team doesn't have those similar fights uh, to to have, which is good. <laughs> Caveat that that's a good thing, uh, but. There have been some things under new coach Vlako Andonovsky, which has been consistent in his tenure. So for me, I would say it's not the last, the past like eight, nine games in terms of wins. The performances in a lot of those games have not been good. You talked about the late 2022 period as well. That was not good. Talk about the Olympics, which was his first major international tournament. That was not good. They won bronze and had to scrap for that. They beat Australia four to three to get a bronze medal. So there are still a lot of issues with this team, most of them in midfield and, and the stylistic approach not really fitting the personnel. So are they still one of the most talented teams in the world? Absolutely. But where women's soccer is at right now, that just might not be enough. Yeah, they're the betting favorite by far. I think they're plus 250 to, to lift the cup. So yeah. they obviously come in with the highest expectations. So you talked about some of the issues in midfield, some of the issues with the squad. Let's start at the back. Is there a goalkeeper controversy or is Alyssa Nair going to hold down that number one spot? Alyssa Nair is going to hold down the number one spot is what I'm what I'm guessing. Of course, it will depend on performances, but I don't anticipate her losing that outright. Um, it's been a rough club season for her, the Chicago Red Stars. Um, they have conceded a lot of goals. <laughs> She's been in goal for most of their games. And so that hasn't been great, but there are some other issues going on with the Red Stars that may have impact, impacted that, including them losing all of their midfield, which their midfield anchors were really important and they lost all three of them. Uh, so that's been a, that was a problem. That's kind of like the main problem. And then of course, Mallory Swanson got injured, who was their star attacker. So yes, the team has overall issues, but yeah, to answer your question, I expect to see a listen there. Casey Murphy from North Carolina Courage. She's a very interesting prospect, mid-20s, six feet, six foot one. She's very quick as well, gets down good. So, like, I expect her to be the goalkeeper of the future. Just don't think that future will happen just yet. Sure, sure. And I think that's that's an interesting point. I think we'll I'll touch on that as well. Uh, were there any notable absences and some some surprise inclusions in the final squad? We talk about whether it's injury, form, whatever it may be. Let's start with notable absences. So who did do you wish the U.S. was taking to Australia? Again, whether it's through injury or form, they were left off. Oh, well, if we, so I almost feel like we have to do two, two, two categories here because sure. there are a lot of injured players that's unfortunate. So from the injured list, Katarina Macario was supposed to be the new number nine, um, nine and a half or number 10, whatever you want to call it. She can do it all in the center of the pitch. Uh, she was she's an exceptional player. They made they did a lot of work to get her U.S. eligible uh, in time for this, and unfortunately tore her ACL while playing with Lyon. Um, but she's been unreal um, from her days at Stanford to going straight from Stanford to Lyon, the best club team in Europe, and dominating there in her second year with them. She led them in goals. 
<laughs> and they wanted the Champions League over there. Like she's been, she's an unreal player. Uh, Mallory Swanson, who I just mentioned, she was supposed to be on the left wing. She had been so good, like developing her game. I know her name's been around, formerly Pew, if people may remember, but uh, she got married and her last name is Swanson now. And her game has just elevated so much. She was so, so good, so direct, and she got very good at placing her shots. And that was like the last step to make her as dangerous as she could be. She tore her patellar tendon in April and a friendly against Ireland. And that was devastating because she's going to miss the World Cup. And then in defense, Becky Sauerbrunn, um, longtime center back, leader of the team, captain of the team. Her being injured and not being able to make it really, really hurts. Um, she's her ability to organize. Of course, she's in her late 30s now, but she's still in terms of her ability to organize, dissect plays and being the right place at the right time defensively. Um, there's no one better uh, than her in a U.S. kid right now, and it's a real shame she's going to miss this World Cup. Yeah, that's that's the one point I actually forgot to mention. I think I sent to you in the notes, but yeah, we've seen that that age and experience at center back. I mean, as, as fellow Chelsea fans, we've seen Thiago Silva is still one of the best defenders in the world because yeah. of that experience and ability to read the game. So, who is her immediate replacement, and how do you think they'll they'll stack up? to this person that was, you know, the, the captain and the leader of this team. Yeah. So the replacement duo is going to be Naomi Gurma and Alana Cook. So what was kind of happening with Andonovsky throughout is he would kind of juggle. Naomi Gurma became kind of like the main star, the primary starter, and he would kind of filter in Cook and Sauerbrunn with them. And the team looked a little bit better than it did with Gurma and Sauerbrunn than it has with Gurma and Cook. Again, this goes back to Sauerbrunn being super experienced, being very good organizationally. Um, but we'll have to see. I think the connection between Germa and Cook is going to be important. They're going to need to get that right and improve that to the level that it would be at with Sauerbrunn and probably even beyond. I think you do get a bit of a bonus in that at this point in their careers, um, Alana Cook is a bit more athletic than what Becky Sauerbrunn can be. So that is a bonus, but of course you have to use it correctly and at the right times and all of that stuff. So we'll see um, how they grow throughout the tournament. But to me, that is a major, without Sauerbrunn, that's a that's a big question mark because we don't really have a third choice center back that's been playing center back week in and week out. It's basically sure. going to be up to Germa and Cook um, and hopefully we don't get any injuries there. And are, were there any snubs, any players that you think should be on that plane or should have been on that plane? Because I think they just arrived this morning. That that should have been on the squad, but we're not. Yeah, this one is a is a is another deep question because there are still some players that are recovering, like Kristen Press. She tore her ACL and she's been on the road to recovery, but she gave an interview with Football America, um, I think it was a month ago, and she said her goal is to go to the World Cup. She wants to be selected. She still hasn't stepped onto the pitch yet uh, post-injury with Angel City and, of course, did not make it. Now, where is she in her, you know, uh, recovery? Don't know. The World Cup is a long tournament. Um, it starts July 20th. The final game, you know, the, the championship match will be August 20th. If the team, you know, goes throughout the group stages or whatever and press can't play, okay, fine. But if she can, you know, in the knockout rounds, might be a great player to take. But that didn't happen. I also look at players like, you know, another actual true six like Sam Coffey. I think she would have been a very good player to take. He's brought her in a camp before, but then 
dropped her and then brought her to New Zealand, which kind of was a good sign at first. And then she didn't play a minute in those matches uh, early this year. And she wasn't on the team since. So um, that's a little frustrating because I think we don't really have a number six with the profile of, of her. She's very like, she's very much a team metronome. She kind of sits deep, wins the ball, keeps the ball moving side to side. Very good at picking up spaces, um, picking out passes. Uh, fun fact about her is right now in the NWSL, I believe she either is first or second in assists from the defensive midfield position. So she is excellent. Um, and it is a shame that we don't get to see her uh, at the World Cup. Yeah, yeah, it's it's tough. 23, 23 spots. You got to make tough decisions. There's always going to be uh, folks looking on, you know, on the bubble on the outside looking in. Were there any surprise inclusions that that you thought maybe not shouldn't have made the squad, but you know, we're not favorites to make the squad, but again, are are in New Zealand or Australia right now? Yeah, there were two. I think the biggest two that stand out. Well, there's probably more than two for me personally, but I'll go to. Um, Alyssa Thompson, 18 years old, um, was the number one draft pick in NWSL this year. Yeah, she's she's very fun, but it was it was kind of a surprise because all of this is happening for her very fast, and she's going to be playing in her first World Cup at the age of 18. That's wild. Um, so she was uh, she was a surprise, but also Savannah Demello is a surprise. Mid attacking midfielder can also play some center mid as well. But um, she was very much a surprise, but she has been incredible since her rookie season. She kind of hit the league running and has been one of the the best shooters and long-range goal scorers in the league. She's also extremely aggressive. Her pressing is great. She wins fouls a lot. She makes a nuisance of herself, and she's also got the audacity to take long-distance shots. She's got great service delivery into the box as well. But he kind of did the same thing with Coffee, with with DeMello. Brought her in. Played her a little bit. She wasn't even capped until the the friendly, the send-off match against Wales. And so he brought her in and then just kind of ignored the fact that she existed until suddenly, oh, let's go ahead and bring her to the World Cup. And it was like, probably could have kept her in camp to get her more familiar with everything the team wants to do. But okay, I'm not the coach all right. So I would say those two are the most uh, surprising inclusions. Yeah, like I said, I've been hearing a ton about Alyssa and the, the crazy potential that she has. And people are talking about her having the potential to be the best, you know, uh, U.S. women's national team player ever. But I guess we, we can pump the brakes on that. She's still a baby, can't even drink legally. <laughs> so we'll, we'll pump the brakes on that. Right. Uh, so we, you mentioned you talked about uh, Murphy being the goalkeeper of the future. And I think there's an interesting dynamic at play here, which I think is, is pretty normal for any high-level national team. It's kind of the old guard versus the new guard. And who do you think that that – Adonofsky is going to be relying on. Do you think he's going to, is he the type to roll the dice with Thompson or some of these other younger players, or is he going to stick with these stalwarts, some of these older players in their mid to late thirties? So this is the other frustrating thing about Adonofsky's tenure is that he was brought in to really facilitate a transition, um, a stylistic transition, uh, number one, but also personnel transition. Now, obviously, I, we just talked about a lot of players who are injured. It's really hard to bring players in, change the style if some of the best players and key players that you've been leaning on are no longer available. But you look at the talent that is still there, particularly in attack, and even some in midfield. You know, I mentioned DeMello and Coffey. Um, I even think Jalen Howe has kind of figured things out as well. She's a defensive midfielder. In, uh, for Louisville, and she's just a wrecking ball. I mean, if you want, you're like your Julie Ertz replacement of just flying around, winning the ball, there she is. 
So, yeah, I, I think it's going to be interesting to see what he does. I think he has to rely on like the the problem right now is that the team is very predictable. And when you put very familiar t- players out there who are a little older, they're still going to be they're going to be even a, l- a little bit easier to understand in terms of their movements and what they want to do. They've been on the national state, international stage for a very long time. So I'm talking about maybe like a Megan Rapino, talking about even an Alex Morgan, um, even to a certain extent, uh, Lindsay Oran, because I think she's kind of hampered a bit by some mobility issues because I don't believe her knee injury is like, I, I just think she's got, uh, she, she had a knee injury a little while ago and it's been, it's, Though she's been okay to play, I don't think it's ever been 100%. And so I think that's been an issue as well. So then you look at, okay, who are players that can change the game? And they're players that the world hasn't quite been introduced to yet. So they're like Sophia Smith, who's incredible. Trinity Rodman, also incredible. You mentioned Alyssa Thompson. Agreed. She's very, very good um, for her, especially for her age. I mean, she's she's... She's exceptional. So I think you have to look at even Lynn Williams. This is Lynn Williams. She's 30, but this is going to be her first World Cup. Um, so that's also amazing. And But she fits very well with the profile attackers that we have. But the problem is right now we have a profile of attackers that is young, energetic. They want to get out. They want to run. And we have kind of Andonovsky's midfield structure that wants more control, wants to kind of play a more measured game, a slower game. And that's really not what they they want to do. So there's this constant disconnect um, and why the team looks kind of stuck in the mud a lot of times. And it's it's going to be interesting to see who he calls on. But Alyssa Thompson started at left wing for the sendoff match. I thought that was a really big kind of maybe a hint about her role, kind of thinking that she's not just going to go there as an impact sub. But again, we'll have to see once we kind of get really into the group stages. I think the group stage game against Netherlands is really going to show us who Andonovsky feels like is his best 11. Yeah, I mean, we've seen plenty of times players kind of announce themselves on the national stage or the international stage, young players, yeah. they come in with, uh, you know, low expectations or even the, a lot of hype and they live up to that hype or exceed it. So, uh, I mean, Trinity Rodman, I'm mesmerized by her as a player. She's just incredible with the, the skill and the, the physicality and the power and all that stuff and uh, the intelligence and the runs that she makes. So, like you said, I think it's just a matter of trust. And I mean, I think we've seen that that's especially the more dominant teams are willing to control the game for, you know, the first 60, 75 minutes and then roll the dice with some super subs and throw on some of these younger kids to cause chaos and run at tired defenders and that sort of thing. So if you could sum up the identity of this team, like the tactical identity of this team, it's, I know you said they're, it's a little stunted. They're stuck in the mud a bit. They seem like they're in that transition phase, which is pretty similar to the U.S. with Klinsman a few years back. But, uh, yeah, if you could sum up the identity of the team, what, what would it be? Confused. <laughs> okay. I know that's not, that's not great, but that's, that's really what we have right now. It's, it's kind of taken Andonovsky a bit of time to realize that, you know, Andy Sullivan provides a different skill set as a defensive midfielder than Julie Ertz. So if you're going to play her, Lindsay Oran and Rose Lavelle or Ashley Sanchez as the attacking midfielder, then you need to make sure there's a defensive base there. You don't, you can't have Lindsay Oran basically being a second attacking midfielder. She needs to kind of stay back and help move the ball around midfield. Um, they need to pick out passes that are either through balls or setting up some of the attacking talent to do what they do best. You know, they like to run it. They like to run. They like to run behind lines. They have to like to run at 
uh, defenders, they like to do these things. So you got to catch them in stride. And the only way to do that is not by trying to pass the ball to them, kind of like you would Alex Morgan, you know, back to goal, ball to feet or, or ball to chest or whatever. So it's not it's not that. And right now we haven't seen a consistent game plan uh, from them in a full game that acknowledges these things. <laughs> and I would like to see it because I think the team could still be extremely dominant. We just haven't seen it yet. And the hope is we see it during the World Cup, but that's kind of like almost very scary. You want to see this before the World Cup. You don't want to have to figure things out during a World Cup because you're going to have a lot of other things you need to figure out during a World Cup. Yeah, it's cramming the day, the night before the final. It's pulling an all-nighter. Right. But we've seen it happen. We've seen teams, yeah. especially as teams as talented as this, and you know, despite some of the other teams in the world catching up, I think they're still obviously the most talented team in the world, and they just uh, Ananovsky and, and his staff just need to figure out how to put the pieces together and make these things fit. Like I said, we've seen teams figure it out over the course of a long tournament, and but hopefully, you know, they're able to figure it out early on in the group stage, and they're not scrambling uh, when it comes to the knockout rounds, which they they should make. So, if you could rate your confidence level out of ten in the fa- in them winning this cup, I know you said they're confused, things like that, but <laughs> Give me a number. Just throw one out there. Oof. One to ten. Oh, it is so hard because nobody's done it to win three yeah. World Cups in a row. Um, oof. My confidence, four or five. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it's it's just, <laughs> it's going to be tough. It's just going to be tough. I think, I think, and, and another thing, I think we'll, we'll get to this, but it's not just the... Europe, the, the big major European teams that have like the conversation has always been about those major European teams, like closing the gap to the U.S. While that has been true and we saw that they struggled against England, they struggled against Spain, they struggled against Germany at the end of 2022. But it's other teams are getting so much better, too. The teams around like Brazil, like Australia, there's so many teams that are getting so good right now that, that like I mentioned, Australia it was four to three that they almost got the bronze medal over the U.S. And that was an Australia that is much – the Australia that we were going to see at the World Cup is much improved from that one at the Olympics. So, like, there are a lot of teams who have closed the gap, not just the major European ones. And I think it's going to be a surprising World Cup to a lot of people, but it's also going to be fun. For sure. And I think Australia is just on the outside looking in of the top five in terms of betting odds. So – there's a lot of faith in them, of course, as one of the host countries. So they'll have that that boost that comes with that. So we wouldn't be surprised to see them make a deep run. And I think, I mean, I don't know how much you'll be able to take from the U.S.'s opening game against Vietnam, but you said that that game against the Netherlands it was their, their second match. That's the one mm-hmm. that you'll be looking to. So maybe if they're able to have a smooth, you know, smooth victory or dominant victory there, maybe we'll <laughs> we'll revisit your your four or five rating. Yes. But you brought up some of these other teams. I think this is a good segue to, to talk about some of the other uh contenders for this. So have you looked at the tape the 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 groups and picked a group of death? I'm I'm leaning towards group D. But I don't know. Do you yeah. have another one in mind? Group D with the China, Denmark, England and Haiti. Yeah. Yeah. That's a that's a tough one. I think that Haiti squad, even though they had to win the playoff to get here, um, they've got some dangerous players. Melchi Dumornay was just signed by Leon as their star signing this summer. She is unbelievable and extremely scary. Um, yeah, this is a this is an interesting one because I honestly I look at this and I think like there aren't too many like straightforward 
I mean, there are some straightforward groups, but there's some really, really tasty ones out there. Like even Group B with Australia, Canada, Nigeria, and the Republic of Ireland. Nigeria has, unfortunately, they have a lot going on with their federation. There, there's, there are some issues. They're not as supporters as they could be, but they have some ballers. Um, Asasad Oshwala should be with the team, and she's been starting for Barcelona, which has been scoring basically a hundred plus goals in a, in their, in their league seasons. Um, so like she is incredible. There's a lot of good, good players, good attacking talent in Nigeria. The Republic of Ireland frustrated the hell out of the U S when they played them in their friendlies in April. So that's a tough team to, to sleep on. Um, Costa Rica, Japan, Spain, and Zambia. Zambia has been showing a lot throughout this. Now, obviously these like warm up matches aren't the world cup clearly, but they drew 3-3 with Switzerland and they beat Germany 3-2. Um, so like Zambia is a team that's that's great. Barbara Banda and uh, Rachel Kunandanji are just like those two have a real attacking prowess. And you're just like, if some of these teams don't don't get it right and put themselves in a hole early, you could see them dropping points. And that could be pretty devastating in, a, in such a group. But I'm... I'm kind of leaning towards maybe your group D, but man, I could make a case for maybe two or three other groups here. It was tough. I was reading through and I was, I couldn't pick one. So I was like, let me lean towards this one. This seems like the most group of deathy, but like you said, to be honest, like, Vietnam, two to one, Germany only beat them two one and Germany had to score a very late goal to get the winner. So like, and, and Vietnam had a chance. They had chances to either go up in the match when it was one, one um, or, or equalize. So like, I expect the U.S. to beat them, but, you know, Netherlands and Portugal need, need to really, like, be on it because, like I said, the gap for everybody is closing. And it's it's really, really fun to see, but also going to make, like, trying to bet on this tournament, like, good luck. <laughs> <laughs> for sure. So let, let's talk about some of the other top contenders. So the, the top five in terms of, of betting odds or betting favorites. So the U.S., obviously, then England, Spain, Germany, France, and Australia. So the four... Uh, European powers and then the host nation of those favorites. Again, you talked about betting on it would be difficult, but if you had to pick one of those other favorites, who would you lean towards? Ooh, I think I know I've just brought up two instances in which Germany has not looked great, but they are the most complete team and the, the deepest team I think right now. Um, they have a whole lot of talent uh, at every level, and they've been very, very good. They were in the Euros fi- uh, final um, against England at home. They pushed England really hard. It took some it took some pretty incredible play from England to get that win uh, and be champions. Germany also has one of the best young players in the world. Um, people wonder where, like, who's the next best six? Like, if you're only familiar with Julie Erickson, what she does at the number six role – she plays for Germany. It's Lena Oberdorf. She is outrageously talented and so good. So if she's healthy and she's playing uh, consistently, especially throughout the knockouts, Germany are going to be very, very difficult to beat because she just controls everything uh, in midfield. Just one of those like supernatural, you know, uh, supernatural mobility, ball winning skills. She's very good as well as picking out passes. Toward the end of last season, she started scoring long-range goals, too. So that might be fun if she hits a banger to this tournament. Yeah, good rule of thumb is never bet against the Germans in a major tournament. You'll, you'll probably do all right. So, <laughs> Facts. In terms of dark horse teams, so not necessarily – you don't have to get hot takey and pick a winner. <laughs> but who do you see as a you know team, one of these teams on the outside looking in 
that could make a deep run maybe to the quarters or even the third place game. I unfortunately think people are sleeping on Canada a bit, which is unfortunate because they won the Olympics. They are the ones who won the gold medal. They beat Sweden at the Olympics and, and won the gold medal. So, like, I think Canada is an extremely good team. It depends on, you know, getting goal scoring. They're defensively very resolute, but they're going to have to figure out uh, routes to goal. And I think if they can get their goal scoring going, they could beat anybody legitimately. They're very good. I think Japan is another team that is exceptional. They have... Like during the She Believes Cup, which happened just a few months ago, they trotted out this very interesting three-back formation, and it was so good. They have personnel that suits it well. They have the technical midfielders who can do it, and they have some very fun attacking talent. Micah Hamano is an 18-year-old who Chelsea signed, and she's been on loan with Hammerby in uh, Sweden, and she's had some amazing highlights already. It was just her first season there. She's 18. Uh, so she could be great. June Endo, we've seen her with Angel City a bit. She's exceptional too. A really good attacking player, except like really, really tactical and good on the ball. Fast, great strike as well. So like I'm really excited about Japan and to see if they continue to grow in that formation. Cause I just think the formation alone, if they drill it down and get good at it, it's gonna confuse some teams. But for me, the biggest one is Brazil. Hmm. Brazil have a squad. They <laughs> have a squad. A lot of the Brazilians came to the NWSL and have immediately like put in top-notch performances. Like Adriana is killing it. We know Dabinia and Marta have been there for a while. Uh, you got Berninha playing it outside back at Gotham. She's been great. And so, like, yeah, I think Brazil, Marta has already said that this is her last World Cup. I don't know what more motivation, what better motivation you can get than win a World Cup for Marta before she retires. But like they have that motivation for this and they all want it. I saw um, I can't remember the player. I think it was Adriana, but there was a player who walked in um, um, from the airport and she was wearing like an airbrush Marta shirt. They're all in on this. So like I'm I'm excited to see how they're going to perform because that team can they start clicking. They're going to cause some real problems to just about anybody they play. It's a pretty solid trio. You pick basically the the team with the the goat of women's soccer. You pick the <laughs> yeah. defending Olympic champions, and then you pick Japan, who I think won was it two World Cups ago. Uh, they were the champions. So, and they're coincidentally they're the ninth, tenth, and eleventh uh, best odds to win. So, mm. I get people really are sleeping on them. But I, I was surprised yeah. to see, especially Canada and Japan, that low. Uh, yeah. Brazil, I mean, they're they're always in the mix. So all three of those teams are really always in the mix, especially Japan and Brazil. So are there any – you've mentioned a ton of players so far, but is there anyone that you're especially looking forward to, to watching? Maybe someone that you don't see regularly in the w, NWSL or maybe someone you see every week. But is there anyone that you're especially excited about watching? Yeah, this is going to be a, a very fun World Cup for like some players who are going to announce themselves to like an international audience. So I think starting at home, Sophia Smith. And, and Trinity Rodman as well. But I think I think Sophia Smith will probably be slightly more important when we really get into it. Um, but yeah, the, the both of those players, I think that they've heard us in the U.S. talk about them a lot, tweet about them a lot. But and they've seen some highlights, which, you know, the NWSL is very transitional. So it's like, how will it translate to international play? But like, I think those two are super, super skilled. And I'm very excited for people to see them and to see what they can produce. Uh, with England, Lauren James, another attacking player. She is probably the best dribbler 
in the game right now. It's impossible to get the ball off of her. She is so good, and she just goes by players. It's like the ball is stuck to her foot, and she just jogs by players. She goes right, she goes left. It doesn't really matter. Um, and she's added goal scoring and assisting, too, in her um, first season with Chelsea. She's been, uh, well, second season she was injured for the first, um, and they were having her recover. But, yeah, she's been amazing. Um, so, yeah, I'm really looking at her as well. Um let me see who else. I think Germany has a couple good, like younger uh, wingers as well. Like Yul Brand, I think is really important player and going to be interesting. So Clara Bull as well. Like there are going to be a lot of young players. I think the com. This is almost like a transition World Cup too, because we're so familiar with some of the names that have been around for a long time. And I think after this World Cup, we're going to have a brand new set of names that are going to become like the upper echelon that are like household names. And when you mentioned women's soccer these names are going to come to the forefront. So like, I'm, I'm really, really, really excited to see um, these players play. Oh, also I have to shout out Guro Wrighton. I know there's a Chelsea slant to some of this, but Guro Wrighton uh, for, for Norway, I think Norway's defense scares me, but if she connects with uh, Ada Hegerberg, um, and then of course you have Caroline Graham Hansen on the right side, Norway could score goals on anybody. Now people, if you pay attention to the Euros, you'll know that, that didn't go so well for them in the Euros. I think England beat them like 8-0. It was really bad. But um, we'll see. They got a new coach now. They got some new players uh, that they have in different positions than they had in that Euros. But, yeah, I'm hoping to see better performance. Do I think they'll go deep? Absolutely not. But they should do some fun stuff. Awesome. I mean, you mentioned the Chelsea slant. I think just it, it goes back to our original point of of folks getting more into women's soccer. I think a big part of it is the growth and the launch of – a lot of these these women's teams in in England and in uh, Europe, where you have a established brand, Chelsea, Manchester United, Lyon, Barcelona, and then they're throwing their marketing power, their dollars or euros uh, behind these women's teams. So you have a lot of folks that are you know diehard Chelsea fans that maybe watch the women's team every now and then. They just root for the badge kind of thing, and they're going to watch the women's World Cup. Uh, and of course, for me as a big Chelsea fan, just like you. I'm going to be rooting for these players and seeking out players that that have starred for Chelsea and are, are playing for other teams. So there's there's that element of it, which I think is really awesome. And it's a more recent thing, which is, again, part of the growth, not just of women, women's soccer in the U.S., but but globally. And that's awesome yeah, to see. And speaking of Chelsea, I know, again, you are a big Chelsea fan. So let's talk a little bit about that. Let's uh, let's touch on what you think of some of the moves this year, this this offseason for both the women's team and the men's team. I know the men's team is kind of down in the dumps. It's not the most exciting thing to talk about, which is it's hilarious to see the the you know the counterpoint between the women's team just winning trophies, just racking up wins and then the men's team struggling. So, yeah, what's been some of your favorite moves or some of the things that that you've seen this summer that you appreciate? Yeah, so I'll start positive, which is going to be yeah. <laughs> starting with the women's team. Um, yes, please. Emma Hayes got her transfer business done early and she did a great job. I don't know if they're done, but she did a great job with what's already been announced. I think if you're watching for Chelsea Connections, 
Schalke Nuskin uh, for Germany is a player to watch. She'll probably be playing center back for Germany, but she will likely be in midfield for um, for Chelsea. She's a great young player. Very, very good. Very good on the ball. Very defensively sound. I think it's going to be very fun to see how she fits in because that's a that's a profile of player they've needed. Um, Emma Hayes' goal is to win the Champions League. So this is what every single one of these signings gets them much closer to winning the Champions League. Then she brought in my favorite player right now is Katarina Macario. Talked about her. She's been out with an ACL injury, but when she is back and she is on the pitch with Chelsea, with Sam Kerr, with Lauren James, Gula Wrighton, it's going to be fun as hell. Like I am super excited. And then Ashley Lawrence, probably the best fullback, the best right back. She can play right or left um, in the women's game. There may be a couple more who have an argument, but nobody's going to argue against how good Ashley Lawrence is. She's great. Absolutely great. Good defending, good positionally, smart when getting an attack, when to get up and down the the flank. She is one of the best. So just like those players right there, I am so ready to watch this Chelsea team. It's almost like if this, if this was any other international tournament but a World Cup, I'd be like, yeah, I don't care about this. It's like I just want to watch these players with Chelsea. But yeah, I'm I'm really excited about what they've done on the men's side. Uh, I, That's, that sounds about right. <laughs> exactly. That's it. Um, no, I, I mean I'm I'm frustrated about the mount situation. Um, I, I really was hoping that they would finally stop playing games and come to some sort of agreement. And the fact that that did not happen, and he's an amount Manchester United player, that just hurts. Losing Kai Havertz to Arsenal, that hurts too. Um, I think we had, we never really gave him the structure in which he best performs. And I think Arsenal's going to do that and it's going to hurt like hell because he's going to ball out and it's going to be like, well, why couldn't you do that for Chelsea? Well, the reason is we didn't really put him in position to do these things. Um, but we, we did get a Champions League trophy. We're just going to have to hold tight uh, because that's that's going to be rough. But, you know, I mean, I'm, I am also excited about the future. I don't know what they're going to do in terms of attack, but Hopefully they get the Moises Caicedo signing done. I think Fernandez and Caicedo is an incredible midfield. And from there, I do back potch to build on that. So I'm excited to see him. I almost like, you know, he has to be a quite a good manager if you're going to come from a, a former Spurs manager and you're actually going to make us excited that he's here. Uh, so I am excited that he's here. I think the way that he had that team playing, I mean, they were in the Champions League final, uh, yeah. which was kind of wild. So like I, he is a big club manager, even though the club he chose to do that with initially was Spurs <laughs> in the Premier League. But like, I'm excited to see what he can do. I just hope they continue to back him. Um, trimming the squad is important. I'm glad we've got some departures, though Mount, Mount makes me sad. But, you know, it, it's, it's definitely building. Um, mm-hmm. I would like to know who's going to score the goals, but I kind of back Poch in terms of kind of getting what he wants. Nicholas Jackson is an interesting player, but I don't know if he's quite ready to be like a primary goal scorer for Chelsea. If Chelsea has ambitions of getting back into the top four, getting back into European competitions, we'll have to see. Yeah, that's a lot to ask for him. I think, yeah, on the women's side, we've come to expect greatness and they continuously deliver. We have maybe the best manager in the world, one of the best teams in the world consistently. They're always in the mix in Europe and just racking up the titles. For Mount and Havertz, I think they just they're just the victims of this weird transitionary period that the club was forced into with uh, you know Abramovich not really wanting to sell, kind of being forced to sell, and you go through this weird season where the team doesn't have an identity. You have a new owner trying to figure things out on the fly, 
And of course, if you're a young player, you're just like, I'm not going to sit around here and, and waste my career, my prime years on a team that, again, doesn't have an identity, doesn't have a, a manager that's capable of doing this. But like you said, Pochettino is a big, big club manager. I'm excited for him. He took Spurs to, you know, heights they've never seen before, probably will never get back to with the Champions League final, with finishing second to Leicester a few years back. So he's more than courtesy capable. Of us. Yeah, courtesy of us, Eden Hazard. There you go. <laughs> uh, so I, I am very excited for that and the fact that he's bringing, I think, a winning identity back to the team. And I'm, I'm not 100% sold on Bowley, but at least he's given the team a blank check almost, which you know you always appreciate with, with a new owner. Uh, so we'll see. But I'm excited. I'm cautiously optimistic about the team. I think we can say that. Uh, but, yeah, I'm excited. There's about another month to go before the season starts, so there's going to be some some signings and departures in the works in the meantime. But thank you I so much. Say, though, to, oh, I'm sorry. No, I, was, I was just going to – I just wanted to throw out real quick on the men's side. Not that I want to defend billionaires because I really don't. That's not really <laughs> – sure. I'm not in the business of doing that. But it, there there is the truth that the Chelsea men's team has needed a refresh for a while. And the fact that Absolutely. it has waited so long, that's why it hurts so much. Um, and trying to get it right from here is tough. So like this season, the past season was horrible. We'll have to see what direction they're building the next season, but I don't expect an immediate return. Like if they're true about this and they invest long-term and they're looking at, which I guess they are with signing these seven and eight year contracts for young players, then we're on a good path, but they have to get, they're at a point now where they have to get things right. They spent a lot of money early and got a lot of things wrong. Grand Potter was wrong. There are some signings that came in that were wrong. And they got to get things right now. So the pressure's on. They have plenty of money, but you have to make right decisions. And I don't know if Mount letting go of Mount or Havertz was the right decision, but we'll see. They got some time to make up for some of these things, and we'll see. But, yeah, yeah it's just – I've been – frustrated about that team for a bit and though they could scrap and still put in a good performance against big teams we've known for a while like in the back of our minds like this isn't this isn't a team that's capable of challenging Liverpool or Manchester City and we got to get back to that because that's where the club should be and it wouldn't be the Chelsea men's team without drama every year and crazy storylines it's just chaos and trophies (laughs) it's the Chelsea thing that's what yeah chaos and trophies that should be the 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 official club club uh, slogan I love it so Thank you so much, Andre. Uh, I love the passion. I love the expertise. You clearly know your stuff uh, when it comes to to women's soccer. And again, the, the passion shines through the screen or through the speaker. So where can we follow you? Where can we find your work and you know, dive more into the world of women's soccer with you? Yeah, so appreciate that. Um, while Twitter still works, you can find me on Twitter at 838 underscore Carlisle. That's spelled a little weird, but it's C-A-R-L-I-S-L-E. Uh, Diaspora United podcast is another place to go. I'm going to the World Cup for a couple weeks, so follow. Um, you should have led with United. that. That's awesome. Yeah, that's <laughs> going to be wild. I can't believe that, but um, it's Diaspora UTDPOD um, on Twitter. We're going to try to have a lot of content there as far as podcasts. We're going to try and write some things as well, group previews, reactions to things. We're going to cover this World Cup because uh, it deserves it, and it's fun, and it's going to be a fun time. So. Um, go there. We'll have some other stuff that'll pop up. Probably going to start a newsletter at some point. I probably should have done that a long time ago, but whatever. Follow the socials and you'll see it all. 
Awesome. Yeah. Like I said, you should have led with that. That's, that's awesome. That's uh, kind of bucket <laughs> list. Believe it. That's probably what. <laughs> yeah. Right. That's a bucket list type stuff. So yeah, make sure yeah. you follow Andre and the diaspora United podcast. They're awesome. I love the highlights. I love the commentary. Great follow on Twitter. So make sure you do that. Uh, make sure to leave us a review wherever you're listening to this podcast. Make sure to follow, like, and subscribe to us on all the major social media platforms at 4040 vision pod. Thanks y'all. Peace out.